Our first reading was from the book of Job. And biblical scholars will generally tell you that the book of Job is the oldest written book in all 73 books of the scripture. So the book of Genesis, which is at the very beginning of the Bible, the Bible is a library of books by a bunch of different authors and a bunch of different genres. The very first book, Genesis, we have Adam and Eve and the patriarchs, etc. And but the oldest, the oldest book probably written is the book of Job. And the reason I mention this is because the central drama at the heart of the book of Job is probably one of the most uh, dramatic things that we as human beings have dealt with forever and still deal with now. So this problem that persists, which is why does God allow evil to happen? And why is God silent? How do I interpret all these experiences I have, especially the negative experiences, if God is real and God is good? Why is there suffering? And so, this story of Job, Job is a very holy man. Job is the most holy man. This is before Jesus, of course. And Job is the most God-fearing, God-respecting human being in the world at this time. And Job is a very wealthy man, and all of his wealth is taken away. Uh, he has these neighboring tribes come in and they, they kill all his livestock and they attack his workers and so he becomes rather poor. And then a natural disaster happens to Job and uh, to his family I should say and all of his kids are killed. All of his children are killed by a natural disaster. And then finally Job gets all these uh, boils on his skin. And so he has sores on his skin and he becomes basically, his health is so bad that he's kind of on the verge of dying. And so he loses his, his wealth and his livelihood, he loses his family, and he loses his body and his health. And the book of Job, it's a very long book, very beautiful poetic book. Throughout the course of the various chapters, Job is tempted by his wife and by his friends who come in and they try to tempt him to curse God. And they, they keep tempting him in different ways. And, and Job never gives in. But God is silent this whole time. But Job's frustrated, obviously. But he never curses God. He says, I have faith in God. I have faith in God. And then at the very end of the book of Job, this tremendously long book, the very last chapter, God finally speaks. And God essentially says to Job, where were you? 
Where were you? Where were you when I created the foundations of reality? When I created the world and the universe? Where were you when I conceived of you before you were even in your mother's womb? In other words, Job, I see the big picture. You have a limited perspective. Have faith in me. I see everything as it unfolds. I see all the different dimensions. I see all the different layers. You see this little sliver. You cannot possibly understand why you've endured these trials. I see these things and I work all these things for the good. Stay faithful to me and I take care of you. And Job is eventually vindicated and um, he gains tenfold of what he had in the past. God gives him a ton more children and grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. And Job lives the rest of his years in peace and joy. And so we come many years later to this boat scene that we have with Jesus, where Jesus is with the twelve, and they've already spent a significant amount of time together. Now, we're back in ordinary time right now. We're just coming out of Easter. So we're back in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And so the disciples, or the apostles, I should say, have already seen miracles from Jesus. They've seen him cure a leper. They've seen him cure a withered hand. And another miracle as well. And so they've had some time with this guy. They realize how special he is. And he instructs them, after a long day of ministry, taking care of people, preaching God's word, says, get, get in the boat. And we're going to cross to the other side. And so they get in, and all of a sudden, this massive storm starts to come. And these 12 guys and Jesus are in this little boat. We have archaeologically dug up uh, at least one of these little boats that these guys used to, that they used to fish in, or were very common in, at the Sea of Galilee. The boats are very small. The boats are two, maybe three times bigger than this altar right here. They are not big. So you got everybody kind of jammed on this boat, and all the waves are gushing over the side to the point where there's even, the script, Mark, Mark says in the scriptures, there's even like a layer of water at the boat. And then, in this very comical way, you have Jesus, who is just completely asleep as these waves are crashing, as these massive qualls and the storm and the wind. And he's on this little cushion and he's just completely zoned out. He's sleeping. All of the disciples, the apostles are absolutely freaking out. Um, and then they get kind of cheeky with Jesus and they, they're irritated with him. Clearly, you can, you can kind of hear it in the line. Are you going to sleep through this? What are, you, what are you doing sleeping right now? 
We're perishing. We're all about to die. And Jesus, you can just kind of imagine him, groggy, you know, sleeping, basically sleeping through a tornado. You think about myself as like a teenage boy, just kind of out of it, sleep through anything. Jesus, if he's just, you know, he's woken up, and he just very simply says, quiet. He rebukes the wind, the storm goes away, complete peace immediately. And Jesus says, what were you worried about? I'm in the boat. Is your faith not there yet? I'm in the boat. You don't have to worry about anything if I'm in the boat. This this story, crossing to the other side, right, on a journey, in a boat, with Jesus. It's a historical event, but it's also meant to be an image of our lives. And it's one of the images that reoccurs throughout the scriptures over and over and over again, from Genesis onward. The image and the message, and what God's just begging to get into our our. our our minds and our hearts. That's why Jesus is, is kind of like, you guys don't get it yet? He's a little frustrated. Do you not yet have faith? Are we going to allow God to take care of our needs or are we going to try to control every last aspect of our lives? That's the drama of our lives as Christians. That's one of the central themes throughout the scriptures. It occurs over and over and over again. Are we our own gods, the ones who have to hold everything together in our lives, all these different parts of our lives? Or are we going to allow God to take care of us? Because if Jesus is in the boat, we don't need to worry. He really couldn't make this any more clear over and over again. It's another issue if Jesus is not in the boat. We really actually should be terrified if Jesus is not in the boat. If Jesus is not a part of our lives in a deep way, deep but ordinary, then we really should be terrified. John Paul II talked about practical atheism. And what he meant by that is there is a uh, sentiment of I come to Mass and maybe I say a quick prayer But other than that, God is not a part of my life. He's not in the boat. I would say I'm a believer, 
but you could really, if, if, if someone from the outside looked at my life, they could look in and they would just see outside of that very small segment of time throughout the week, there would be no other indication that that person is a disciple, a follower of Jesus. If Jesus is in the boat, we have absolutely nothing to worry about. Daily life of prayer. We talk to him throughout the day. We receive the sacraments regularly. Simple stuff. Try to follow the commandments. Try to live a life of discipleship. If Jesus is in the boat, we don't have anything to worry about. We live in the most terrified time, in, at least in modern history, probably in the history of the world. People are more terrified than they ever have been. At least since the beginning of when we started to keep data on this stuff. Anxiety levels now, probably most of us are familiar with this, are higher than they've ever been. Period. And there is more anxiety the younger the population. The anxiety increases. Now, that's obviously for a lot of reasons, and I don't want to simplify a massive issue, but I am firmly convinced that we who have become increasingly a less Christ-centered civilization naturally are going to become more anxious. We have been a Christ-centered culture for 2,000 years in the West. We have let God evaporate in a practical way from our lives. And as this happens, we're naturally going to become more anxious. This is just kind of common sense. I think about my niece or my nephews, and they are so free all the time when they are in the presence of their parents. This is the most relaxed, secured demographic in our population, our children. Probably children with a, with a mom and a dad. When children are in the presence of their parents, they let go and they are free. They know that they have someone there who is taking care of their needs and that they are not alone. Kids get very anxious when they lose their parents in the grocery store. We've probably all gone through that ourselves. It's like an existential angst. But if mom and dad are around, I'm secure. If Jesus is in the boat, and I hand over all of my anxieties to him on a regular basis and continue to vulnerably put my faith in him in the small things and the big things, I will not live a life of terror and anxiety where I think that I am alone. Uh, I'll live a life that's more free. Out of the 73 books in all of the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
probably many, many of us have heard this, the phrase, do not be afraid, in some form or another, appears 365 times. So you just imagine that. Of all the authors who have authored the sacred scriptures, these people didn't know each other, right? 73 different books, different genres. Do not be afraid is in the Old and the New Testament 365 times. God is saying something here. Let go. Don't be afraid. Hand it over to me. Practice handing things over to me. Don't be distracted by the waves. Jesus, we put our trust in you. We ask you to help us to let go. Help us to trust that you see the big picture. That even amid the afflictions that we experience and the different sufferings and distractions and anxieties that we deal with on a daily basis, that you are always taking care of our needs. Help us to keep you in the boat. We know you want to be in the boat with us. Help us to be people who live freely, not people of anxiety. With the responsibilities that we do have, that you have given us for our family, for our, for our spouses, and for our children, and our jobs, Help us to take your direction and just let you lead us in those, in those different responsibilities. We trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so now, just for a few minutes of silence, any, uh, any anxieties or maybe anything that we're, we haven't fully handed over to Jesus, maybe we can hand it over. If we feel like we're out of the boat right now, maybe we can invite him into the boat.